0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. When I was young, my family spent our summers at a cottage up north in Michigan. Our water source there was a unique sort of well, an artesian well. There was no need for a pump or a bucket or anything because the water bubbled up to the surface because of its own pressure. The cottage had indoor plumbing, and so we could turn the faucet on inside and drink like you would at a normal house. But there was something alluring about going out and getting water from the well itself, so we would go out back and we would lift up the heavy wooden cover and Down inside, it was dark and a little ominous. We knew, like, you drop something in there, you're never getting it back. And right beneath the wooden cover was a metal pipe that came out with water continuously flowing from it. And so we would take our little colorful plastic cups and stick them in and drink to our heart's content. This isn't what Jacob's well is like. Jacob's well goes deep. In the desert and it takes a lot of effort to drop the bucket all the way down and draw it all the way back up during my recent pilgrimage to the Holy Land we got to go do just that and the well is now inside a church down in the basement and they've installed a pulley system so you've got this crank that you're turning to get the bucket down and up and it takes a fair amount of effort to get that bucket all the way back up and drink out of it and in first century Palestine, when there was no pulley system installed, it was even harder. And that's where we see Jesus in our gospel reading today, sitting at that very well, by the, in the desert, no bucket, no way to quench his thirst in the noonday sun. But we also get the sense that that's not really all that important to him, because his real reason for being there was walking towards him about to draw her own water in that same heat and same noonday sun. Jesus' initial question to the Samaritan woman is innocuous. He just asks for a drink. But her hesitant skepticism is immediately apparent because he's breaking every social convention. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He's a man. She's a woman. By all accounts, there should be no interaction here. so he admits, no, he actually doesn't really want water from her. He wants to give her water, living water. Water that means that she'll never thirst again. Now he has her attention. What is this water? Does this mean she doesn't have to keep coming back to the well every day? Is this going to permanently quench her thirst that deepest of human needs and here the conversation fundamentally changes because while she's still thinking about physical thirst and physical water jesus is talking about something entirely different and to illustrate this he makes another apparently innocuous request go call your husband and come back And this reveals what the woman's true need is, because she has had five husbands and the man she has now is not her husband. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled about this woman through the history of biblical interpretation, and honestly, much of it unfairly. Bible scholars, who until about 50 years ago were almost always male, tended to hear five husbands and unmarried and then assume that meant that she was a woman of questionable moral character why else would she be married five times and then live with a man without marrying him first the problem with this assumption is that it usually went hand-in-hand with the idea that the scholar himself was someone of excellent moral character (laughs) or at least better moral character than that woman. If he hadn't had five wives, then it was fine for him to wax theological about her obvious moral failings without scrutinizing his own. More recently, feminist biblical scholars have sought to rehabilitate this woman's reputation. They point out correctly that Jesus never said that she was divorced. What if all five of her husbands died? And then she moved in with a male relative, like a brother or a son. And this hypothetical scenario is plausible based on the biblical text. And it does correct the historical interpretive injustice, but it reveals another problematic line of thinking. This opposing interpretation makes the woman perfectly pure. And if she's perfectly pure, does she really even need a savior at all? And if we rehabilitate her in this way, does that then rehabilitate all women without us needing to examine our sin? But there is a middle road between these two extremes. Because in the Samaritan woman, we see someone who is haunted by broken relationships. She's lost five husbands, perhaps by death, perhaps by divorce, maybe because of her sin, or maybe because of her husband's sin, perhaps by abandonment. And now she's given up on marriage entirely. That cultural and religious institution that was supposed to be permanent has now disappointed her five times. So she's done, no need to bother with that again. And aren't we all like this woman? What causes deeper pain in our lives than broken relationships? And how are relationships broken except by death and by sin, our own sin and the sins of others? Every single one of us here knows this pain in some form or another. A family member who died way too young A friendship that got tangled up in misunderstandings and accusations and then drifted apart. A loved one taken by the horror of addiction. That grievous mistake made that caused someone to walk out of your life. Or the simple cold silence slowly growing over the years between two people who said they would love each other forever. These broken relationships create deep aches that do not heal easily. And they point us to an even deeper truth, that ultimately what we are all thirsting for is a relationship with the living God, a relationship that transcends all human relationships, one that will never break, that will never fail us or disappoint us. This is the woman's deepest thirst and our own deepest thirst. Jesus sits on the side of Jacob's well with its water that takes so much effort to get to and offers us living water that flows freely and permanently. Many people reading this text associate this living water with one of the seven I am sayings In the Gospel of John I am the bread of life I am the light of the world but it actually isn't one of them there's no place in this passage where Jesus says I am the living water and a few chapters later in John 7 verses 37 to 38 Jesus again brings up this idea of living water and John says very specifically that he's talking about the Holy Spirit so when Jesus gives us this living water he sends the spirit into our hearts and the spirit does his work he convicts us of our sin and then points us back to Jesus who has the power to forgive us for our sins all of this happens within the context of the father's love for us and for the whole world and so here we have a Trinitarian outpouring of love and grace And that's where we find our love and healing. This is what Jesus means when he says, those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The Holy Spirit comes to us without our own work or effort, artesian well style. This is the renewal of our own relationship with God, the relationship that is ultimately what we thirst for most deeply. And the beautiful thing is the Spirit's work doesn't stop there because through him we also see glimpses of renewal in our broken human relationships on this earth. Through the process of forgiveness and repentance, that he initiates in his love and grace, we find new hope in the ways that we interact with one another. He also heals the scars caused by death, giving us hope that one day we will be reunited with our loved ones through Jesus' work on the cross. And this doesn't mean that the pain goes away all the way right now. But it does help us to see what our relationships will be like once Jesus has returned and renewed all things. And as the Samaritan woman realized the truth of this, she couldn't help herself. She runs back to her town, to the townspeople who probably were not all that friendly to her, who probably were part of the pain of the broken relationships in her life, Because really, who would go to get well water in the heat of the noonday sun unless she were trying to avoid going in the cool of the morning or the evening when all the other women went? She runs back to them and proclaims, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Or, come and see a man who sees every broken relationship I've ever had in my life. This is the mark of the Spirit on one's life. That not only does the living water gush up into eternal life for you, but it overflows into your community. You cannot help but go and tell those around you what you have seen and heard. And Jesus offers us, each one of us, this living water. It's freely pouring from a well that never stops flowing, never runs dry, and needs no bucket, rope, or pulley. Come like a child with your plastic cup and drink. The Spirit will fill you. He will convict you of your sin and draw you to Jesus' forgiveness. He will renew your relationship with our holy God. He will begin to heal the hurts and pains of your broken earthly relationships. And he will bubble up in you, quenching your thirst and overflowing to those around you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. Produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorge's.org give. Thank you for your support.